and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. Now, there's no baseball right now, but I'm still writing about baseball for The Athletic because that is just what we do at times like this. And as always, I am joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, field of dreams hater, <laughs> and distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. Uh, I should probably mention that because of field of dreams, we, we had to convene a grand jury. Consist- <laughs> yeah. Right? Consisting of a couple of thousands of people we found at where else? Twitter. Uh, that grand jury has decreed this could be Doug's final episode as a distinguished host at Starkville. But more on that shortly. I, I first I'd need to ask, what's happening inside the Glanville compound these days, Doug? Oh wow. Well, I mean, you gotta be homeschool geniuses here and um I feel like I could kind of teach anything if necessary, and uh, so we're, we're just we're busy with that. The four kids—they're busy running around, trying to keep them <laughs> occupied and interested. Trying to—at least the weather is picking oh, up over here. It's uh, so it's it's a little loco, but we're we're thankful. We're having a good time, and I'm reminiscing a lot with like old baseball footage and uh-huh. uh, my brother and I texting, and so we're we're still finding the things we enjoy. But it's a uh, Obviously, right. a very challenging time for all of us. I'm sure your family is interested in none of your reminiscences, so you got to find somebody <laughs> to reminisce with. This is hopefully, true. Hopefully, we can help. Now, yes. today, today on the podcast, uh, Ken Rosenthal will join us to talk about an incredible story from him that you can find on our site about the possibility of bringing all 30 teams to one site, most likely Arizona, and then starting the season with no fans. We're also going to talk about Evan Gaddis's amazing quotes to The Athletic about the Astros' sign-stealing scheme. And we have some tremendous mystery guests who will join us to help us decide whether Doug is right or wrong about Field of Dreams and whether that's enough to get him evicted from this podcast. Yes, friends, this podcast will end with our first-ever Starkville Town Hall to decide the very fate of Doug Glanville. Can you stand the tension, Doug? Yeah, I, I can feel it. I'm feeling pretty good, though. Feeling pretty good. I got a good lawyer. Good lawyer over here. <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't know that we'd have attorneys as part of the special guest. But who knows? We'll see where this leads us. First, Doug, I want to report on the big development inside the Stark household right now. The washing machine broke. That's great. That's great news. And we think we've figured out the problem with the machine, but let me fill you in on the bigger problem. You know, there's like nobody on our planet who's available to fix this right now, except guess who? (laughs) Me. That's correct. And you know what that means, right? We are doomed here. We're doomed. (laughs) 
Doug, I, I'm guessing you're probably great at fixing stuff like washing machines, right? I, I wouldn't say great, um, but I, I, yeah, I have some engineering skills since that's that's what I graduated oh, yeah. with. But mm-hmm. I never really practice as an engineer, <laughs> so <laughs> so I, you know, and uh, I try to avoid you know all the handy kind of work. I, my wife's super handy actually, and she she enjoys it and she likes projects like that, but. I don't know about the washing machine might be a little out of her scope. So I <laughs> I am hopeful because I get it, Jay. I mean, we are washing laundry all the time. Some of it was initially just the safety component of it. And now it's just, you know, four kids and towels. I, I'm sure right. ours is going to break at some point. So I'm already kind of <laughs> plotting. What do I do? Do I order another one instead? Like, I, I have no idea. Yeah, well, I can tell you what we, we've had to do. Like, I've been... I've been hand washing. I've been, like, I, I feel like one of the pioneers, you know, I, I, I've been in charge of hand washing everything. Oh my goodness. And like, all we need is the clothesline flapping in the breeze surrounded by the majestic purple mountains majesty, you know, but I don't have that going on, but the hand washing thing really makes you miss stuff like washing machines. And, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I want to report that my wife and my son have expressed full confidence that I can get this done. Oh, I yeah. Sh- I share none of that. None yeah, of that we, confidence. It's amazing what you, like, I'm about to caulk, recaulk our bathroom. Okay. So that's where we're at right now. Like, never would have thought of, dreamed of doing this right now. <laughs> I am, I ordered the caulk gun. I got everything, you know, lined up. I watched a ton of YouTube videos, and I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good about this right now. That I, I, water won't just flood into our kitchen, so we'll see what happens. Uh, we will in a week. We'll see how your 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 caulking went and how our washing machine repair went. We know one thing: nobody's coming to our houses right now to <laughs> right. fix anything. They're just not. True. Um, Doug, look before we get started here. Uh, I, I want to say again that all of us here at Starkville are thinking of everyone out there whose lives have been touched and altered by this virus. Uh, this has begun to really hit home now with, with so many people that we know and love, friends, family, people out there who read and listen to us. So uh, we want to encourage everyone, if they can, to help in whatever way they can. Uh, I know in our house, we continue to give to groups like Feeding America, the American Red Cross, uh, donated this past week to the Philly pledge that the sports franchises in Philadelphia are rallying behind. And I'm also concerned about my friends who work for newspapers around the country. So I've been subscribing a lot. I'm now subscribing to 10 newspapers uh, uh, from coast to coast, from Philadelphia to St. Louis to Kansas City to Tampa Bay to San Francisco to L.A., just subscribe to the Chronicle and LA Times over the weekend. I have friends who work at every one of those newspapers and their ad dollars are drying up. Their papers need our help. So please, if you can, help and subscribe to your local newspaper. Some of those subscriptions start as low as $1. So if you can, please help keep the flow of local information coming at a time when we really need it. And Doug, I know there's that some stuff's going on in your house. What have you guys been doing? Yeah, I mean, I remember us talking about this, I guess it was last week, and we were a little bit at a loss as to what we can do very tangibly because there's so much need and so much concern. 
you know, whether it's industry or people or, you know, just across the board. So, you know, we kind of weighed it, but as I mentioned, my wife is super handy, but also great with uh, craft work. And one area where she's, you know, taught classes on is sewing. So she started reading more about the face mask and the shortages and got inspired. And we happened to have tons of fabric because she had all these projects he had done over the years. So we had, and we had not, not so long ago moved. So we had boxes of fabric and things that we could tap. So she pulled it all out, got her sewing machines up and started sewing uh, face masks. And, you know, it's been, it's kind of catching on because, you know, people we know in the medical field, like our neighbor, for example, and many others, you know, we kind of deliver them and drop them off with using social distancing and all that. And uh, yeah, she's, you know, done nice there, not, you know, just built something up where people can always go to her if they need something in a pinch. And more and more we're seeing these shortages. So uh, my role is not so sophisticated as she's doing all the sewing and the cutting and and the ironing. And I am getting the postage together so I can mail these things. (laughs) And so trying to, (laughs) trying to avoid the post office. So what I'm doing is I, I got a scale, I got all this stuff and I, I go online and there's a website and I can just download postage. So yeah, it's, it's been very tangible. And then you, you feel like, wow, it, it could make a difference in one person's life. We have groceries delivered and the guy came last time, didn't have a mask. So she made a mask for him and he came back and uh, we gave it to him and um, try to help him out. So uh, it's, it's dicey. And every day the state, you know, all, where all we live adds more and more things and limitations or rules or restrictions to try to address this. So we're, you know, we understand that and every, you know, we're just trying to figure out what we can do. And this has been very tangible and, and hopefully helpful. Right. Let's all try to make a difference in whatever way we can. If we're safe, if we're well, if we're healthy, if we're able, let's try to help. And, you know, people sometimes I notice on Twitter will take little digs at us for talking about baseball or tweeting about baseball or caring about baseball. But baseball, sports, these are things that people still love and care about. And we work for a sports site, right? And it's our job to try our best to connect with those people who care about these games. And so that's what we're trying to do. It's why we're going to keep talking about baseball. So let's get rolling in this podcast. Doug, let's welcome back our friend Ken Rosenthal, who I, I, I think now qualifies as Starkville's most frequent tourist. Uh, Ken, you've now been here so many times. I'm proud to announce we have upgraded you to our prestigious Cobalt Elite status. <laughs> cool. And I haven't checked the chart, but I'm pretty sure that entitles you to the dessert of your choice at the Starkville Diner, which unfortunately oh, is, is still closed for renovations. <laughs> yes. but, well, that's the problem. There's no diner in the country that's open right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I'll pick to... that up once we get going again. I'll be sure well, to get that dessert. All right. You're gonna, you have a big decision to make. You're going to want it hot, cold, or a la mode. <laughs> All the above. Can we name a street after him? We can just give him a street. I mean, it's like, why not? We don't have any streets, so right. give him a street. If, if, we, if we boot, and if we boot you out of here after this week, like, <laughs> the population's going to be pretty sparse. Yeah, so it would be like. You can come back anytime, Ken. Anyway, uh, Ken Rosenthal continues to do amazing 
and informative work at The Athletic, even in this time of no baseball. And so, Ken, I want to talk to you today about a story you wrote the other day. It basically says baseball is considering quarantining all 30 teams in one place, uh, which I, I would guess most likely is Arizona. And then they would start the season in not just in spring training parks, but empty spring training parks. So, Ken, first, tell us how this might work. <laughs> That's a great question, Jason. I'm not sure it can work. And yeah. the idea is being discussed by other leagues as well. The Premier League in England is one. The NBA, talking about having the playoffs in Las Vegas. And the reason for this, it seems, is there might not be another pass to playing again. So, or at least anytime soon. Yeah. So baseball, as part of its wide-ranging look at ways to figure out how to play this year, if they can play this year, is looking at this thing and a number of other things as well. Now, the way this would work would be just as you said, Jason, all 30 teams in one place. And I think Arizona would be the more likely place simply because the strength training camps are more concentrated. You also have Chase Field, for that matter. So that would be the idea. Players in hotels, quarantined. The problem is <laughs> you got to quarantine everybody. And you have to account for the hotel workers, the bus drivers, everyone who would be involved with putting a game on. And that would include probably the television people as well, because the idea of this would be to put the games on TV. So it would be a massive undertaking. And it is something that whenever you talk about it, and we can talk about it right here, it raises one question after another. In fact, I was talking to a player this morning and he said, okay, tell me this. What if Mookie Betts has to go to the hospital because he gets coronavirus in the middle of all this? Uh, good question. <laughs> and I don't know the answer to that. So it's an idea. I don't know that it's a viable idea, but the reason why it's being discussed is let's face reality here. I don't know that we're seeing fans in parks anytime soon. That is something that is something we just have to come to grips with. And the other part is, well, if you're going to have baseball games in empty parks, you'd want to minimize the travel with the players. You don't want guys jumping on airplanes like they normally do, even if they're charters. So the way to do it would be to put them in one place. And the way to do it in this environment would be to quarantine. Again, I don't know that it works, but it's a path. And right now they're looking for any path they can find. Yeah, I don't blame them. Um you know, all of us, we all miss baseball. We want the season to happen. But I want you to help me just think this through. Uh, even if I, I know we're, we're talking about, well, the safest way to go is to concentrate everybody in one place and shield them from the outside world. But even if it's we're shielding them from everybody, aren't we still talking about it's more than a thousand people when you count up 30 teams worth of players? Right. Coaches, staff, front office, TV announcers, TV production crews. I'm just trying to envision when exactly it would be feasible to put that many people in one place and still somehow keep them far enough apart from each other. We're talking about in clubhouses, yep, dugouts, hotels, that they could pull this off at a time when people around the country are being told, stay home, don't go to the store. Don't assemble in groups of more than 50 people. Even the concept 
doesn't make sense to me exactly. Does it to make? I understand that, Jason, and it it makes sense to me only in that it's a way to get baseball back to playing. And you heard the president over the weekend said he expects sports to return sooner rather than later. He's probably being optimistic, and depending on your view of the president's comments, you can take that or leave it. But it is. From baseball's perspective, I would imagine one way to ensure that there are some games played, at least to start a season like this. You don't have to continue the whole season like this, hopefully. Hopefully you can get back to the normal stadium situation that is normally the case. But the only thing that we have to consider here besides all the practicality is the desire. And the desire is not just the players and owners. In that article, I quoted, I believe, the Independent, an English website, saying the government in England wants the Premier League back. They want them on TV, especially with the restrictions, the social distancing restrictions, possibly being extended or tightened. And that would give people something to do. Watch these things on TV. So... That doesn't override the practicality. And if there's a health risk, you can't do it, period. But if there is a way to make this safe, and I'm not saying there is, because, Jace, all the questions you have are all the questions we all have. But if there is a way to make it safe and a way to pull this off, and let's face it, it's April 6th. It's not June 1st right now. That's two months away. July 1st is three months away. So I don't know how it happens. And the heat in Arizona would be another issue. <laughs> but again, it's being discussed and something that we'll probably hear more about one way or the other. Maybe we'll hear that it's just impractical. That's kind of the guess that we all have. Or maybe we'll hear, all right, they're going to try it this way and figure out a way to do it. I don't know. I, again, I there are so many more questions than answers. It's ridiculous. But there are no other answers as far as playing. I don't know how else to play. So that is what is driving this. Yeah, we should. I mean, we should also think about this from the players' perspective. And luckily, we have a guy here who's played nine seasons in the big leagues. Doug, what would you be asking right now? What would you like to know from Ken? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ken, I think there's a, a couple layers that come to mind. I mean, well, first, I would say this, and you know, I teach this class at University of Connecticut about sports role in society, and I, and it, it's a great moment where baseball or sports in general need to make the case of its social significance, you know, Mm -hmm. because when you're, just think about I think you might have mentioned in your article about, well, if you're going to make sure people are safe and healthy, then you're testing people, right? You're testing people. Yes. Quarantine and so on. Well, there's so much of our country are still trying to even get access to testing. So, you know, so to be able to justify that, oh yeah, I'm going to test this elite group of people and their families maybe, uh, those are going to raise some questions. Well, then what could baseball do? Well, it could turn this into something that makes the case for its public significance and find ways to take the opportunity to re-engage the sport for maybe public health or just like you said, uh, a distraction, something that weaves our society together in these trying times and find ways tangibly to help other people who don't have access, who who need help, you know, find ways to make cases for getting <laughs> ventilators, whatever it is. I think there could be a way to walk hand in hand with making true quantifiable social benefit. That and would I be think a that powerful- would be part of the idea. Yes, it would be powerful, Doug. And there'd have to be a component of that. How can there not be? Yeah. And, and uh, let's face it, baseball 
World War II was an outlet for people. Baseball after 9-11, some of the more wonderful moments, Jason, of our careers occurred in the weeks after that. Yep. Sammy Sosa with the flag, Jack Buck with his speech, Piazza's home run, the great World Series between the Yankees and Diamondbacks. There were some really powerful things that happened. Now, this Absolutely. is much different, and yeah. it's, it's a whole different story. And if you are draining from, from any perspective resources that are better used to serve the public in a time of a public health crisis, you can't do it. But if somehow this all can be navigated to where what Doug is saying is a huge part of the equation, and I'm sure it would be, then you have something that is bigger than baseball. And Absolutely. maybe that's where they would want to go with it. Right. And, and just as a, as a player, if I just strip down to the sort of player level, yeah, I would have concerns. You know, my wife, my, my four kids, am I, do I have to be away from them? You know, they have lives. They're trying to do certain sure. things. How do you protect everybody? Because, uh, you know, unless you're saying to me, hey, I'm going to go away for three months and, you know, disappear and we're all quarantined as a team and we're going to try to keep it to like 40 necessary personnel and and that's it that's you know that's a big challenge to try to figure out how to to navigate that and keep it so insular i mean if you're going up to home plate and you're you're concerned about the umpire the catcher you're on first base i mean there's thankfully sure. in baseball there's limited contact not like basketball or football or something but everybody in the sport will have to be kind of on the same quarantine page or or testing negative page right because you're playing against each other uh but yeah they 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 rent out Arizona State University's campus and put everybody there and had create this quarantine world but like you said one positive test one thing going off somebody you know had to go home or get sick or i, I don't know seems like the domino and cascading effect would be very powerful so as a player i'd be really concerned about just my family and my ability to see them, let alone their safety. No doubt. And the union kind of has to protect the players from themselves here because the players, at least the percentage of them are going to want to go, right? They're going to want to play. And part of it's financial, part of it's just, this is what they do. Their careers are short, but there has to be from the player's perspective, a great concern about safety as well. And I'm sure there would be. I'm sure the union would be very, very vigilant about that. I don't know, guys. I, I, <laughs> after I wrote the article, I was even more convinced it wouldn't happen. And wow. that's kind of where I am now. But I just believe at some point there's going to be momentum for games to come back, for entertainment to come back. Now, it's not now. We're in the belly of the beast. This is the worst period. Hopefully it's the worst period. I shouldn't say it's the worst. We don't know. But at some point, when hopefully we do flatten the curve here in the country, then you can start at least entertaining these ideas. It doesn't mean you jump feet first, but at least you start thinking about how to bring sports back, the economy back, and all of that. Ken, let me ask you a question that's it's more of a technical question. Uh, it's something that's been brought up to me from people <clears throat> in the game. We're talking about a plan that is going to generate essentially no revenue except for broadcasting revenue, local TV, local radio, national TV, national radio. That That's the only revenue source. And so right. if revenues are drastically reduced, 
would baseball want players to agree to take less money and not take their whole salaries? And then the other part of that is, all right, the Yankees make massively more money in local TV revenues than, say, the Pirates. Would baseball also need to come up with a plan that would require all these teams to share their local broadcast revenues? In my view, Jason, the answer to both questions is yes. And I raised this in the article that if you have no revenue other than broadcast revenue, it's a different financial world. And obviously the players and owners already have agreed to a deal in which the players will be paid a prorated portion of their salary in any shortened season. And they get the $170 million advance. And if there's a canceled season, that's all they get. Okay. But if you're playing under different conditions, and certainly no fans, that qualifies as different conditions, I would imagine at least a conversation would take place, guys, from the owners to the players. Guys, we don't have the revenue to support your salaries in the same way. Let's talk about a new equation. I can't imagine that conversation not happening. The players might flip out, but too bad. (laughs) You know, you got to play here. And you got to participate, and everybody else is suffering. You can't expect to have the same kind of deal when the circumstances are so different. And that goes as well for the owners. Now, Jason, the point you made is a great point. Yankees play the Tampa Bay Rays. Dramatically different TV deals. So one thing that might come up, I don't know that it will, but I just raised it in the article, you share the local revenue for one year because it's for the greater good. You're trying to put your sport back on its feet, and it doesn't mean the Yankees don't. It doesn't mean the Yankees have to give up their revenue like that forever. No, 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 no. But just for this season, yeah, you might have to do some different kinds of things. Again, just for the greater good and for the idea of putting the games back on the field. Yeah, isn't the answer to the question uh, either either take less revenue or zero revenue? Well, that's exactly the- right. And and what would you prefer, right? I mean, if you're either the players or the owners, you prefer whatever you can get. And also, there is also psychological value to getting back this year in some fashion. To go dark for what would be 16 to 18 months by the end if the season is canceled, Boy. that's tough. It's tough for a sport. And we experienced it to some degree with the strike in 94, 95, and that was different because that was self-inflicted. But you don't want to be out of the consciousness of the public for so long. Now, again, public health comes first and everything else second. So all of these things we're talking about are secondary issues. The question really is, can you do this safely? And right now we don't have answers but I'm not saying we won't have those answers a month from now or two months from now. We might have better answers than we do at this moment. Yeah. Well, we have all the answers. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, there's, know. So, there's so many questions that go through your head when you start to think about this stuff. Here's like the probably the most bizarre thing that's occurred to me. What's the one activity that almost all baseball players have in common? They spit a lot. Yep. <laughs> what is more what is more dangerous right now than guys standing out on the same field spitting for three hours? Can, a lot of you're gonna have yes. a, a you're gonna have a no dirt. spit rule? 
We play on Astro. That sounds like a Jason Stark story to me. <laughs> right, get, get rid of all the dirt. You cover all the dirt up. That will help. Uh, licking, uh, licking things and ball, you know, ball on uh, cheating the. Yeah, well, hopefully not cheating, but like I'm thinking of Gaylord Perry or something like that. <laughs> Like putting yeah. foreign spitball is already banned. Yeah, touching your face. Yeah, <laughs> you know, all these things. Yeah, I mean that's you'd have to be like yeah, complete. Everybody like tested negatively. It's a well, yeah, and you mentioned that sixteen to eighteen months, Ken, and I'm sort of like, that's a career. That could literally be your career. Yeah. That could be your moment. I mean, yeah. if you're thirty and you've been in the minor leagues your whole career, and you finally might have had a good spring going this year, and you lose two years, eighteen months. I mean. That's it. it. That could change your whole career. Um, you know, so I, I think about in that finite nature of your individual moment, it's it's uh, it's shocking. I mean, you think of the Olympians, right? Who, you know, gymnasts who might have just gotten there and they losing another year of training and trying to get back. Uh, I guess one one thought I had, at least final thought I was thinking is with Ken, like what or what do both of you think about how important it is for baseball to resolve? the sign stealing issue before they talk about like, Oh, let's play and let's do, because you know, if you play whatever 30 games in Arizona and you still have not addressed this, that's not going to be a good way to, to be this example. We're trying to set in baseball to come back to sport for the rest of our society. So what do you think the significance of resolving and really resolving, not saying here's the Red Sox report, but actually a workable solution. Great point. And I believe it will be resolved before the games resume. If you remember, guys, right before this all happened, not only was baseball working on the Red Sox report, whatever their decision might be, but also working with the union on kind of a comprehensive amendment to the rules that are in place and stricting, making stricter rules and addressing some of the concerns that have been raised in recent months. So, in my view, that is not going away. They're going to address that. They're going to have a new set of rules, as they've had multiple times in the latter part of the previous decade. And therefore, from that perspective, Doug, that will be addressed. It will be something that baseball can go forward with. You know, we, we spent literally months talking about the Astros. We're going to talk about them more in this podcast when we get to Evan Gaddis here in a minute. But I'm still not confident that players have ever resolved in their minds the question of what is cheating. And I don't even know that a new set of rules can do that. Can they? I don't know. But now that this has all come out and the Astros have been penalized and the Red Sox will be addressed one way or the other, the attention to the rules, I imagine, will be much greater. Now, one of the things I found and Evan Drellick found in our recording of this topic is there is a lot of or was a lot of confusion about what exactly the rules are. Now, the Astros, they went too far. That's not even a question. The players knew. With the Red Sox, it's different. With other teams, it was different. Now, we only reported about the Astros and the Red Sox, but the Red Sox, what they did is something we understand other teams did as well, certainly prior to 2018. And what the system there was, was simply decoding signs off video, relaying them to the dugout, someone in the dugout relaying them to a runner on second base, sometimes first, but much more often second, 
and then relaying them to home plate. Not real time per se, but using video to decode signs, which is illegal. I don't know that all the players understood that. And true now, they should understand it better, but it's a real issue. And it has to be made clear once and for all what the line is, because the line, first of all, it changed over the years. It became stricter. And then it seemed that some players at least did not understand where it was. Ken, I I know you've got to run. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us. I also want to thank you for providing the perfect segue to our next segment on on Evan Gaddis and the Astros. So that was good work. And I also want you to remember, there's a special Starkville dessert waiting for you just as soon as that Starkville diner hires a cook. Well, I'm not going to limit my sugar intake waiting for this dessert. I'm going to keep pounding it, but I look forward to that day when I can eat it. Yeah, well, we look forward to serving it to you, and we look forward to you coming back to Starkville. Thanks again, my friend. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Uh, you know, Doug, a funny thing happened to us last week as we were recording Starkville. Every once in a while, we would need to talk to our esteemed producer, the evil mayor here, Mayor Cam. And what would happen? He was nowhere to be found, right? Didn't that happen? Right. missing so so why was that doug he was multitasking it turned out he was also producing another podcast it turned out to be the 755 is real braves podcast which is hosted by dave o'brien and eric o'flaherty and uh so when we tracked cam down he said well here's what happened we had a guest on our podcast who ran long because he had a lot to say okay so it turned out that guest was Evan Gaddis. Uh, of course, Evan used to play for the Braves and the now infamous 2017-2018 Astros. If you haven't listened to this podcast or read Dave's incredible piece about this interview, I highly recommend it because, holy schmoly, like Cam was not kidding. Evan Gaddis had a lot to say. He had so much to say about the Astros and their sign-stealing scheme, I think it's must-read and must-listen. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to play just a sampling from Evan Gaddis. Mayor Cam, why don't you tee up a little Evan Gaddis for us? I don't think I can win the hearts over of anyone right now yeah, at all, or maybe ever. I don't know how to feel yet. Um, I don't think anybody – we didn't look at our moral compass and say, yeah, this is right. It, it was almost like paranoia warfare or something. And uh, what we did was wrong. Like, don't get it twisted. It was wrong for the nature of competition, not even just baseball. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was wrong. I, I, I will say that. Okay. I get his drift. He thought it was wrong. He strongly thought it was wrong. He thought that their moral compasses were all off. And, you know, when I heard him talk and when I read Dave's story, I thought I was I was hearing a guy speak who was really racked by guilt. Uh, you know, knowing he was part of this, knowing he went along with it, knowing it was wrong, knowing it, knowing at the time it was wrong and he still went along. So, Doug, look, you spent years of your life in big league clubhouses. Can you explain how clubhouse culture can be so powerful that guys get swept along 
in doing things that they know they shouldn't be doing, and yet they never say or do anything to stop it? Well, the key word, Jay, is power. I think you hit it on the head. It's power, and maybe it's how you perceive your what power you have to be able to go against the grain. I mean, you're in a culture that expresses this idea of the unity of, of your team, and you're on the same page. And when you're not on the same page or you're not working together, uh, you're not going to be successful. And it's taken to such a degree where you will overlook or ignore certain things to keep that cohesiveness, to keep that sort of unity. And especially when you look at younger players that are coming up, I mean, what power do they believe they have? You're going to take on veterans that might be pushing this. You're going to go against the grain and run up to the front office. I mean, it's just not likely. And it's a cultural thing, too. You come up and you see veterans. You know, I came up, it was Ryan Sandberg and, you know, guys that had been around the block. And you learn from them and you watch them. And and often years before you get to the big leagues, you're in uh, Major League Spring training for a few years trying to get there. So you build a certain respect and a certain way that you're going to follow the system. But you're also indoctrinated into this idea that, you are part of this one fabric, the single organism and mentality on how you keep things together in-house, uh, sort of like the Players Association, right? You, you keep everything in-house. And it creates a lot of blind spots. It creates a, a very few avenues of dissent. It creates a lot of challenges if you are going to try to be on your own, and, and that leads to being completely ostracized or isolated. So, Although there is a choice, and some players certainly did take that choice, they're not going to do it in a way publicly to undermine that that team. Uh, you almost have to parallel it to what you hear a lot about in, in police and law enforcement, right? This sort of code, this blue line. Obviously, the stakes aren't even as close, but the, the cultural aspects are similar. So I can see how things will go off the rails. I, I look back at performance-enhancing drugs, the PEDs, and although I didn't see people with syringes shooting each other up, there was a cultural awareness. And not even always knowing how to attack it or address it was part of the problem to being slow to sort of denouncing it on a certain level. But it's it's easy to get wrapped up, especially when you're having a lot of success as the Astros were. And all of a sudden, you don't get perspective until the season's over or time goes by or you're called out on it because the the sort of myopic nature of the focus you need to be in this everyday world doesn't give you the time to reflect like you need to. And that's how things can completely go off the rails as it did for the Houston Astros. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it brings me to one other clip uh, from Evan Gaddis that I, I, I think is relevant to that and you know, where he talks about success and how good it felt to win until the glow faded and then it didn't feel so good. Let, let's tee that one up. Yeah. And also like after the, the experience and don't get me wrong, I'm very happy. We won the world series. The parade was incredible. It was a great time for Houston after yeah. Harvey and all this shit and to yeah. see 1 million people in the street. Uh, don't get me wrong. All these experiences were excellent. And, and just, I was floored. And, uh, but once that all fades, yeah, you know, now it's kind of different. It's like, okay, you, you know, okay, that happened and we cheated. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's not like, I'm not, I mean, you can't feel that good about it. 
you can't feel that good about it after you won a World Series and paraded in front of a million people. Think about that because there's a lot to think about. Like at that moment when you win, it feels so good and you get caught up in how good it feels. But as time goes on and you realize how you did it, how you won, obviously, if you're being honest, and I really applaud Evan Gaddis's honesty. I, I, I since told him that. I reached out to him. He reached out to me. I reached back to him just to try to let him know that I, I appreciated his honesty. But here, here's my thought, Doug. How do the players who are still there rationalize what they did and yet still go out and play baseball this year or whenever baseball resumes? I, don't, don't we all wonder if those memories, if that guilt is going to hang over them this year and maybe forever? What do you think? I mean, it's got to be there. And and you can't take away from the equation of them getting caught, right? I mean, getting caught out there. <laughs> I mean, it's it's public embarrassment. It's so many different levels. And that, that does make a difference. I mean, you think about Mark McGuire, right? Um, you know, he hits the home run and, you know, the, the, the Maris family and his son. And, you know, yeah, you get caught up in moments in sports. That's part of what we love about it, right? And even as a player, you get caught up, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the, either the smoke clears, time goes by, you're getting a little more forgotten, or the way you were able to accomplish something was nefarious or undermined and underhanded, and it starts to be either called out publicly because people figured it out or or you just have a, a guilt that just carries with you. So there's an aspect, but one key word, two words I want to underscore in Gaddis's first quote was paranoid warfare, a paranoia warfare. That's, that's a pretty telling statement about, to me, that says they were worried about what other teams were doing. They were worried about getting caught. They were worried about other teams surpassing them that may have been doing things that they were suspicious of. I, I think there is a larger question when you talk about paranoia. What are you paranoid about? You're worried about failure. You're worried about all these things that kind of come with the territory. But there's also a warfare component, he underscores. And, yeah. and that is part of what we're seeing is that as we proved the, on the last show, you could create an algorithm and steal signs. You could, you could do it in your basement, right? No big deal. It could be done. Now, the way they were using it and abusing it was a different story. But the idea that uh, all these other teams weren't trying other avenues is, it would be naive, right? So, so they were competing, not just on the field, but with technology and competing with teams as if they were the enemy to getting advantage. And, and it all blew up in their face because they, they're the ones that won it. And they're the ones that had someone on the inside blow the whistle on them. So there's a lot of things that kind of combine what Gaddis is saying. Uh, but there's no question this guilt is going to follow them. And now, because it's so public, the league has to respond. And I'm very curious what they're going to do going forward, however way or whenever this game comes back. Uh, you're exactly right. And like that's a that's a big part of this story is what was everybody else doing and what did they think the teams they were playing were doing and how did that help justify all of it? Um, I think when we get the verdict on the Red Sox, that'll be a big part of that conversation and how people respond to it around the game. That'll be a big part of that response. And um, much like, 
PEDs. None of this happens in a vacuum. Everybody has a reason for what they do and why they do it. And it there's a lot of gray area that's just hard to sift through. Evan Gaddis used the phrase moral compass. This is testing everyone's moral compass. And even though we're not talking much about the Astros right now, they're just at intermission. It's coming back. Doug, do you realize it's now been almost a month since we've had any trivia as part of the show? I know. It's, I mean, it's like my brain is freed of all the failure. So I guess in some ways, <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> that's that's true. But I don't know about you. I have missed those trivia questions that were submitted by our listeners yeah. because we love it when they are part of the show. And, you know, people haven't stopped sending us those questions. So this week, we are bringing back listener trivia. And we'll tell you how you can be a part of one of these segments later in the show. But let's get to it, because this week's question comes from a friend of both of ours, John Fisher, a guy we used to work with at ESPN, oh, great Fish. baseball yeah. mind. Fish! He's an excellent follow on Twitter. By the way, you can find him at Johnny Fisher. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y-P-H-I-S-H-E-R. I think he, I'm guessing he must be a fish fan, right? Mm -hmm. Here's what he asks. It's a hard one. Uh, there are four active players who are a franchise's all-time leader in wins above replacement. Who are they? So a couple of clarifications. One is uh, he used fan graphs war, not baseball reference war, just to be clear. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is this player does not have to be playing for his current franchise. So mm, mm, wow. I've been thinking about this. I've got to guess. The easy one would be Mike Trout and the Angels, right? Easy. Yeah, I like that uh, one. Okay. Second, Evan Longoria and the Rays. I am pretty I like confident that one. about that. Oh. Now, I'm thinking Giancarlo Stanton and the Marlins. Ooh. I don't feel great about it, but I'm pretty sure it's the fourth one. I'm wrestling with. So here are the kind of the, the ones that I thought about, Doug. Albert Pujols and the Cardinals. Ooh. Nolan Arenado and wow. the Rockies. Joey Votto and the Reds. Miggy and the Tigers. Paul Goldschmidt and the Diamondbacks. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman and the Nationals. You have to assume the Expos don't count. But here, here's my actual guess. I think it might be a guy who's turning into the Todd Helton of his era. In other words, the trivia stumper of his generation. And that would be Ryan Braun and the Brewers. I don't feel real confident about this one either, especially on a team where Robin Riant was with the Brewers for like 20 years. But Ryan Braun, always worth a guess. He's my guess. Doug, what do you think? Wow. Well, are we allowed to put our heads together? Because if you had four guesses and I have four guesses, then I think we'd be all right, right? <laughs> I just made like nine guesses. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I, I like Paul Goldschmidt. I, I like. I agree. I think like Longoria is a great one. Well, is Zimmerman still playing. What is his story? He's still active. Yeah. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, because I, I wasn't sure, Bryce Harper did he didn't pass him? Did he? I don't know. Oh, okay. Arenado, who Helton? That's tough to beat Helton. Cabrera. No, Helton's not active. I was just using Todd oh, right, as an example right. of Ryan Braun. Just in terms of 
but he has right. So you but, like you like Trout Longoria. So the other ones that I threw out there were Giancarlo, Pujols, <sighs> Arenado, Vado, Miggy, Goldschmidt, Zimmerman, Braun. Man, I, I mean, I, I I like Goldschmidt. I like Ryan Braun. Can I make four guesses? And then, well, I support your two. Uh, but if we want to win as a collective body, I should have four different guesses than you. <laughs> so I don't um, know. We know Trout is right. Yeah, we know uh, that's right. Right, that's right. Yeah, so no, I'm definitely taking Trout. So if I take three others to go with you, I'd say Goldschmidt, Braun, oh, Miguel Cabrera. Was he? He's been the Marlins. When did he get traded over there? Tigers had some legends, though, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, how about Arenado? Okay, so what were you for now? Trout, Longoria, Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Goldschmidt. Uh, no, I was going to not take Longoria, so you could oh. ha- have the win. Oh, okay. Trout, Arenado, uh, Goldschmidt, and who was the other one? Zimmerman. Ryan Braun. Oh, Ryan Braun. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I, I'm sure we don't have this right. But let's bring in the mayor. Find out how we screwed up this week. Somewhere, gentlemen, you guys were a lot closer than I imagined, and. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot. Certainly, Mike Trout is atop that list. And actually, one of your stabs, Jason, Jim Carl Stanton for the Marlins was correct. Oh, Evan God. Longoria, which you two both Blake guessed on, which I disapprove of, uh, was correct. <laughs> but the last name on this list happens to be a Los Angeles Dodger, Clayton Kershaw. Whoa. Come on. Clayton Get Kershaw. Out. No, no here. joke. Clayton Kershaw. It was... Not Braun, who was the stumper this week, but Clayton Kershaw. Really? Like, who, what, where does he, who's second on that list? I got to find that list of wins above replacements. He leads his, his team organization. Wow, that's amazing. It's a, it's, wait, that's like incomprehensible. <laughs> how many, how many Dodgers Hall of Famers? Yeah, uh, the war. Yeah, well, I don't Jesus. know. Yeah, you got my brain just blew up. My brain just exploded. Just obviously exploded. Clayton has now stumped us twice. I'm going to guess him from here on in. He's going to be always my (laughs) guest. All right, I'll guess Ryan Braun. You'll guess Kershaw. (laughs) We're guaranteed to get it right. All right, there, Mr. Glanville. (laughs) Let's get to the portion of this podcast you've been waiting for. It's your moment of decision, my friend. Because last week on Starkville, you told us. That the iconic and beloved baseball film Field of Dreams was overrated. So, if you recall, I vehemently disagreed. <laughs> then we had our mayor say, "Well, why don't we just put up a poll on Twitter?" Uh, so we then informed Twitter what the deal was. We asked the residents of Twitter Dumb to decide whether Doug's dissing of this film was so egregious that we need to oust him from Starkville. So, Doug, I'm here to report back that more than 2,400 people voted. Here, my friend, are the final election returns. Oh, boy. Choice A was, we love Doug. Let's have him stay. 42.7% said, yeah, they want to keep you around. But then choice two was, nope, Doug must go. 57.3% decided Doug must go. And, you know, that's kind of a landslide. Well, you know, they're, they're tweet bots. They're, they're mostly your tweet bots. So that's not, that's not fair. Uh, I question the voting body. And, uh, 
And all the hanging chads that you did not check on, I think I had like at least 3,000 hanging chads that could have gone my way. There's no hanging or chads on Twitter, okay? There's just, you know, we ask the people, and by people we mean Twitter, and you're just getting the best of humanity when you do this. Um, But what I think we should do is we shouldn't let Twitter decide. No. We should allow the mayor of Starkville to consider these results and decide your fate. Yes. But I also think we need to provide more balance. Yes. So what we're going to do is we're going to hold Starkville's first ever town hall. Now, it's obviously got to be a virtual town hall because we are social distancing, (laughs) but we will have witnesses. And our first witness, Doug, is our favorite situational left-hander, the great Jerry Blevins. Yes. And why are we calling Jerry Blevins? Because he jumped into our little Twitter dispute last week because he felt a burning need to defend his friend, Doug Glanville. <laughs> so, Jerry, welcome to Starkville. Always welcome. great to talk to you. Hope you're doing well. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm honored to be uh, uh, a star witness for the defense of Doug Glanville. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's a tough first entrance to Starkville where we have to be in court. I would appreciate it to be more friendly, but I'm, I'm here for Doug's defense, and uh, I'm, I'm ready to uh, fire off some facts when you guys need it. Well, that, well, that's just beautiful. Now, Jerry, you stood tall and proud to defend, to defend Glanville. So I want you to go ahead. You can tell us now why you also believe Field of Dreams was overrated. Okay, first I wanted to say that uh, Doug and I both started our defense of where we stand against Field of Dreams, you know, with trepidation because we understand that it's we're A, in the minority, and B, that people are very passionate about how they feel about it. So uh, I started out, I wrote, uh, a tweet or I tweeted out that I really like the movie. Everybody wants some, I don't know if you guys have seen it, Richard Linklater. It's yeah. a beautiful movie. It's a, it's a baseball movie set. in I think 1980, it follows around a team that start in the seasons like three days before. Anyway, it's a beautiful movie. I think it's a, an amazing baseball movie. And I just tweeted out like, this might be my new favorite baseball movie. Um, and people were like, all right, well, if that's your favorite, you know, let's see your list. And so I started writing a list you know, I was like, everybody wants some Sandlot Major League for love of the game. And then everybody's like, well, where's Field of Dreams? Make the list bigger. <laughs> well, I ended up putting up a top 10 and people came hard at me on Twitter. <laughs> so uh, I ended up writing an article for Sports Illustrated to defend my position on why I didn't choose Field of Dreams in my top 10. Nice. Uh, number one, as a baseball movie, you should get baseball things right. Uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson in the movie – Bats right-handed. Shoeless Joe is a left-handed hitter, as I'm sure you are very aware of, Mr. Stark. I am. If you're going to be a baseball movie, you got to get the baseball stuff right. <laughs> uh, secondly, you know, we, you guys talked about, <laughs> talk about how Moonlight Graham's your favorite part. My favorite part, too. The only thing is, he doesn't get redemption. You know, this movie's about him wanting to, to live out his second dream and become a baseball player. You know, he ended up choosing the medical field. Well, right before he gets to do his thing, he has to come back and give up his second, his dream again for another time and, and become a doctor, which is, you know, it's a great part of the film, but he never really got to redeem, like redeem himself for that. And then lastly, you know, and Doug said the same thing, you know, he grew up 
his dad didn't teach him. Well, I grew up with a single mom. So I guess the, the fatherhood part, you know, of, of having a catch with your dad, you know, would have played bigger, but it also was ruined for me for the simple fact that they said, you want to have a catch and nobody I knew growing up and still to this day ever says, let's have a catch. It's always, Hey, you want to play catch? So those are my three <laughs> biggest points on why I'm not a huge field of dreams fan. Um, and I've never been a, against it but people are so adamantly for it that i felt i have to 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 beef up my stance against you know i have a lot of thoughts but you're a glanville's witness so i'm gonna let doug pat you on the back here go ahead yeah no i mean i i i beautifully said beautifully said i i was moved (laughs) like kind of like when you know uh james madison or some great you know lawyers of the past you know spoke in court during the revolutionary war i don't know i'm kind of making that up but i'm very moved thank you (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's I, I feel that same thing that Jerry feels. I know it's iconic, and I know it's poet, poetic, and I know people love it, and it's very, like, super passionate about it. And I've watched it four times. It's not like I just blew through it. And uh, and the thing, I, I had trouble with suspending, <clears throat> suspending disbelief. I really did have trouble. Uh, you know, you think about every time Costner had a revelation, uh, Kinsella, it was it was like a scene out of Benji, like a Benji show. They would say one word, and he'd like, "Oh, what did you say, boy? Oh, you got to go to the doctor's office." Oh, you know, he figured all this stuff out with like a lot of holes, and I I just had trouble with that because he just pulled it out of the sky. It seemed like all these psychic moments he had and hearing voices and the corn, and that was a little weird for me. Then like having to hold Terrence Mann at fake gunpoint to get him. I kind of struggle with that. Um, the fact that they're kind of romanticizing a team that basically defrauded baseball. So it, it would be like a movie in the year 2000 and you reminisce about the 2017 Astros or something and uh, Jose out, build it, they will come. You know, it's like it's a very controversial team. So I had I had trouble with that a little bit, like the, the actual team. Uh, and yeah, and Graham, like the thing about Moonlight Graham, which is a beautiful story, and definitely my favorite part of it. He, um, he, you remember the scoreboard that lit up when they said go the distance? He, he played in one game and he had zero at bats and he wanted to have that at bat. He actually never got his at bat because as a kid, when he came back to play, it was a sack fly. So he had a plate appearance, but his, his at bats will still be zero. Okay. So I know that's like nitpicking, but the, like you said, the baseball thing, and that as a dad, I mentioned this last week that. You know, if my daughter's choking on a hot dog, like I'm, I'm bringing everybody on. I'm not like waiting for some ghost to cross the line and turn into some doc. Like, no, that's not happening. Okay, so I mean, so look, it's, it's. I, I feel like it's if you could suspend disbelief, which is like everybody's kind of personal connection to any storyline, then that movie, I get it. Like, I get the whole connectivity through things. But for me, I really couldn't do it. And then I was judging it kind of as a movie, as a baseball movie. And I felt this pull between like E.T. and like K-Pax <laughs> and Dragonfly from Kevin Costner. Like all these kind of extra level kind of things with that uh, didn't connect for me in baseball. So, you know, so but like Jerry and I agree that we say this with great respect for why it's important to people. And I get the stories. It just didn't connect with me as a movie from the standpoint of these, like, the way Costner, you know, jumped to these conclusions. And I just had a lot of trouble with that. So it was really slow for me in that regard. And that, that's it. So, and my last point is this for my defense is that 
in the spirit of Field of Dreams, uh, all these, uh, you know, I guess we call them FOD bots, right? The, the Twitter Field of Dream bots that you sent out there for the vote. Um, they, you know, I, I would like to see some of the compassion they claim to have in this poetry of baseball to not want to exile someone from his town. So I don't think that's cons- I don't think that's consistent with the uh, the spirit of Iowa baseball and love. And I played in Iowa, by the way, for two. I've been to more Iowa State Farms than probably most of the people who voted me off. I've seen the largest pig in Iowa for the year in 1995. Thank you very much. That's it. All right. That's all I got. All right. You know, let me just say, we were going along good here. We bring in an expert witness. He, yes. he, he talks eloquently about his issues with Field of Dreams. And then you come along and you compare this film to Benji. And I, you know, at that point, we went off the rails. So I'm going to ask you, Doug, yeah. get out of the way. I, I need to talk to Jerry Blevins. Okay. okay. I'm out of the way now. I, all right. Jerry, I feel like both of you guys have minimized how iconic this film is. The, I, I mean, there are lines from the movie that everyone in America knows. If you build it, he will come. Everybody knows what movie that's from. They know the whole story. We got the great James Earl Jones speech. The one constant through all the years, Ray, is baseball. We've got a field in Iowa where they're playing a major league game this year, at least in theory. Okay? Yes, sir. This is stuff that does not happen with any old run-of-the-mill film. So, Jerry, you have to see my point here. The iconic nature of the film, isn't that a powerful part of this? Yes, it's very powerful. And I'm not downplaying the iconic stature of this movie. But like Doug has said numerous times, it just didn't resonate on that level with him and I. Um, Just because it has repetitive lines that people like to recite doesn't make it a great movie. You know, it's 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 a huge movie. It stand it stood the test of time for many people. But for Doug and myself and many other people that will probably remain nameless because of the shame that they have been dined upon, especially in the Twitterverse, uh, they, you know, it just doesn't click on that level. And Doug said something during uh, his his town hall speech that I wanted to to emphasize. It was his he had a hard time connecting to the movie. You know, it wasn't a baseball movie because they didn't get all the baseball stuff right. And it wasn't a fantasy movie because it it was hard for him to draw those connections. And for me too, I'm a huge science fiction fantasy fan. Like that's when I read a book, it's mostly sci-fi stuff. When I watch a movie, I'm a huge like Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, Star Wars. So I have a big imagination. I just couldn't draw those connections. So it didn't click with me, like Doug said, on either level. So as iconic as it is, it still just didn't resonate with us. Why is it so iconic then? I want you guys to quote one line from Benji. This one. <laughs> Benji. Either of them. Well, Benji is the idea of like the Benji's quote unquote owner. Benji would bark twice and just say, oh, is that the Pythagorean theorem? 
oh, the president is about like she would figure out like everything the dog would say off of like three barks. So, so, we, so that's how we, Kevin Costner was with his yeah, wife. Benji, maybe, maybe we say Lassie, you know, Lassie. Like, okay, Lassie. Yes, yeah, Lassie is maybe a little more resonates on the level. <laughs> yes, excellent point, Jerry. Excellent point. Yeah. So hey, boy, what? Oh, okay. Oh, open the garage door. Oh, the keys in there, Lassie. Oh, bark, bark, bark. Oh yeah. So that's what Kevin Costner was with his wife on the staircase when he was telling her he's going to go to uh, where was he going to to visit Terrence Mann or something and yeah, Boston, those are, right? Those yeah. are huge leaps of faith it's based like, off of, of uh, a Lassie Bark. Yeah, I was like, okay, you know, and, and I know it's fa- it's fantasy. I, and Jerry hit it on the head. Like, I love sci-fi, Interstellar. Like, I watch all those movies. I read a ton about it. Um, you know, I, I follow the NASA program. So I, I get the imagination <laughs> 100%. But there's still, like, for you to suspend disbelief, for me, I, it just didn't work for me. And that, so I lost a lot of the fantasy nostalgia. I, I just lost a lot of that because it wasn't, it wasn't believable in a way that I could even dream about it in a certain, in, in the way that you need to, to really love that movie. So, so yeah, I say that I would respect the, there's a lot of movies that are iconic that are, I respect. It just didn't necessarily click for me. And I really, I tried, I watched it again, I watched it again, but I love Bull Durham. You lollygag over, you lollygag. What are they, <laughs> lollygaggers. Yeah, that's a line and it stays with me. You know, I, I think of those scenes over and over, the whole scene about like, you know, what baseball is. So 100% appreciate it. Jerry made a great point. It doesn't necessarily make it a great movie because it's got a couple of really great lines. All right. I, like I admire both of you guys for your your courage. In, in going where you've gone and trying so condescending, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody's making a pilgrimage to the set of Benji. Okay, I just want to make that clear. I didn't I, realize I, that Starkville was in Iowa. I, <laughs> yeah, we've moved to Iowa. I, I'm moved. gonna I'm gonna require that all future appearances, both of you, walk out of a cornfield. You'll, you'll get a much better feel and, for and hear this. voices. Yes. I, I, <laughs> All right, look, look we got we got to let Jerry go. Jerry, th- thank you for joining us. And uh, next time we have a dispute about a movie, we're probably not going to bring in. <laughs> bring him but in. When we, when, we, when we face a tough left-handed hitter in the eighth, I'll be waving for you. Just, just know that uh, I am not being contrarian when I don't like Field of Dreams. I just don't think it holds up as a good movie. So thank you All for right. the invite, Doug. I wish you the best. It sounds like uh, – like yeah. they're they're trying to to kick you out of town. We to start Glanville. So. Yeah, was, uh, annex. They're gonna have to annex me now. So that's right. <laughs> I thought about it. Believe me, pushing you to the burbs. Yeah, I'm in the burbs. Okay, stay stay tuned on this, Jerry. Thanks, right, Jerry. Thank you. Right, see you, Jerry. Now, Doug, here's what we need to do. Now we need to bring in a yep. voice of reason. Yes, we need to bring in someone with knowledge and perspective on the greatest sports films of our time. So I want to welcome in my witness, my good friend, Glenn Macnow from Sports Radio 94 WIP in Philadelphia. And most importantly, the co-author, along with the great Ray Didinger, of a book entitled The Ultimate Book of Sports Movies. So Glenn, I want to welcome you here to Starkville. Thank you, guys. I hope everybody is well and staying safe, and uh, it's my pleasure to join you. I'm a fan of the show, so uh, I'm delighted to be with you. By the way, I just if I can, it's too bad Jerry Blevins is gone. 
he was, I agreed with him certainly on one thing, which is you can't have a movie where you have shoeless Joe Jackson bat the wrong way. But I disagree with him on one thing, which is Jerry Blevins is clearly not an East Coast guy because it's always been let's have a catch around where I live. Uh, I, you know, I, I, if he only made three points, three reasons that he thought the film was overrated, if yeah. that's one of them, he was already grasping. <laughs> that was a bad one. Obviously. Yes, that, that was fairly lame. <laughs> right. Now, Glenn, in, in your book, you rank Field of Dreams as the 11th greatest sports movie of all time. So I want you to set our friend Doug Glanville straight. I want you to <laughs> well, please tell him why Field of Dreams was not overrated. All right. Yeah. Well, here you go. Understand, okay. when we wrote this book, Ray Didinger and I, and by the way, forward by Gene Hackman, we watched more than 250 movies. We whittled it down to a top 100. Wow. We spent, we, we interviewed about 175 players and coaches and broadcasters and actors. We got their favorites, their reasoning. And I will tell you that I think with the exception of Caddyshack, this movie was the favorite of so many Pete Carroll and Peter King and Mike Sosha and Jim Calhoun and so, so many of them. But it didn't make our top 10 for some very specific reasons. And I'm going to tell you what they are. Number one, guys, as much as I love baseball, as you do, this movie is just a little bit too reverential, a little bit too saccharine sweet. You know, Moses saw the burning bush and Ray Kinsella saw the, the diamond in the cornfield, even with the singing angels in the background in case you missed the subtlety. So there's well, point wait, one. What, wait, what is happening here? Yeah, I, 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 I like this witness. I like this point witness. Point two. <laughs> I object. The, point two, <laughs> the single most annoying character in any sports movie ever made is the hippie dippy Annie Kinsella played <laughs> by Amy Madigan, who's a fine actress. But what is the point of the school board scene with the fat cow Beulah Gaznik? Way too much groovy and far out for me. Wait, Doug, even Doug liked that scene. Point three. By the way, Jake, All right. point two and a half. This isn't even one of the points until you brought it up. It's a great movie because you know you remember the lines. Hey, I remember the line every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. <laughs> Nobody ever thought Godfather Three was a great movie. <laughs> uh, but here's the kicker. Is amazing. Guys. Here's <laughs> yeah. the kicker. The whole movie leads up to that final seven minute scene between Ray and his estranged dad, right? They parted ways when he, he was a teen, uh, he was a teen, Roy, not Ray. He was a teenager and they never really squared it off before dad's early death. And now, thanks to Ray Liotta, Shoeless Joe, they're going to get that second chance in this magical cornfield, right? And we're told that dad was just a damn fine catcher back in the day. And now they meet again and there's, there's this blather about Iowa and heaven and how those can be confused. Right. And I, I got to tell you, Jason, I got a lump in my throat at this point. Right. And he goes, Hey, yeah. Hey dad, you want, you want to have a catch? And I, I'm, I'm for Clemp, man, I'm going. And, and, and Kinsella picks up the ball and he makes that, that crash Davis throw, right? Costner was a hell of a, a hell of yeah, an he's a good athlete. He's a good player. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the dad catches the ball and then he makes the feeblest, push it forward, throw this side of bitty ball, ruined it for me right there. <laughs> so 
So here's the bottom line, Jason. It's a damn good movie. I don't movie. even know if I want to hear the bottom line. <laughs> it's, a, it's a damn good movie. As I said, we watched 275 movies, and this was number 11, but it was not top 10. And if the issue here is, is it an excellent movie? Yes. If the issue here, as I understood it, is, is Field of Dreams overrated, I got to come down with Mr. Glanville. Ooh, Wow. Uh, if is that's this like the question a few, at hand, I feel like a few good men right now. <laughs> Did you hold a cord right <laughs> And then, uh, do we go to Article Seven, Three, Four, Six, Three, Four? And then the courtroom is cleared. But yes, I got to tell on. you, Jason. If the question is, it, it, is Field of Dreams overrated? Unquestionably, <laughs> yes. Glanville wins the debate. Whoa, did, you, did you did you get the who? memo that you're my witness? Oh my god! <laughs> I have to be reinstated for what? being a witness. What is happening? <laughs> I got to, you know, it's got to be my honest response. And my hunch is you don't disagree with anything I just said. <laughs> yes. You, oh. you, I I want to focus on this whole suspension of disbelief thing because this is that was the basis for Glanville's whole argument. Yeah. And you're a great movie expert. Suspension yes, of I disbelief is, yes, you are. We, we just decided. And yeah. this whole suspension of disbelief thing is what you do when you're watching a fantasy. Am I Yeah, correct? except if it's a baseball fantasy, the dad's got to be able to throw the freaking ball. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dad suspend, wasn't one listen, of the big. I believe, I believe that he came back from heaven. I'll believe that Shula's Joe never threw anything and he's a really fun guy, okay? I'll believe that, you know, they, they, they well, I actually do believe they wouldn't let Ty Cobb play because he was jackass. That part I do believe. Yeah. But I'll, yeah. I'll buy into all of that stuff, but you have to, the first rule of sports movies, and, and when we wrote the book, this is what we said, is the action has to be credible. You got to believe these people are athletes. Costner, no question about it. He pulls it off. He always does. In golf important. and baseball, Costner can do it. The guy who played the father screwed it up. Overrated, dark <laughs> losers. Well, this wow. was a brilliant idea that went horribly uh, wrong. Is, yeah, this, <laughs> I, I, I defense rest. Defense rest over here. You know, it reminds me of all my other brilliant ideas. They all go horribly wrong. <laughs> well, Glenn, I was going to say it was good to talk to you, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah, let me know when you want to go out for pizza. I'm ready. Any well, I guess I'm not. Yeah, Nobody's I, going anywhere. I, but down the road. Yeah, I want to. I I would love to go out for pizza. I'd love to go out for anything. Right. Yeah, right. I know. All yeah. right, listen, I I I I need to thank you. I'm not so sure. I'm not thankful. <laughs> thank you. But uh, be well, my friend, and let's be talk well, again. Be safe. Ultimate Book of Sports movies still out there on Amazon, and they All do right, deliver. I am, yeah. I am ordering like ten copies right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a good. This is a great place to hype your book for all the. Hey, we did another one out. about gangster movies. If you ever want to have that debate, <laughs> I, I might be hanging out with gangsters after this segment. So you oh, can't yeah. handle the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's my little Jack Nicholson. All right. My pleasure, fellas. Hey, thanks, thanks my friend. See you, man. See, See you then. Okay, so now what? <laughs> wow. Now listen, I. I, I you, you I think want... I tampered with the witnesses, but I actually didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I arranged for both these witnesses. All right, but okay. Now, so we had two compelling witnesses 
somehow or other, they both wound up agreeing with Glanville. But <laughs> so, I want I want to remind you that the people have spoken, the people have voted. We should not ignore the will of the people, and by people, of course, I mean my Twitter followers. Uh, and so, at times like this, Doug, what do we do? Well, we you turn. Go- you go to the electoral college. We right? do. We turn to our leaders. <laughs> yes. Now, unfortunately, in, the, in in our case, it means we have to turn to our evil mayor, Cam. But we're going to do that. Let's bring in Mayor Cam. Cam, are you here? Yep. Ma- uh, Mr. Mayor, the fate of Doug Glanville is in your hands. I, I think you're going to have to decide. Should he stay mm-hmm. on as host of Starkville? Will he be evicted? Or do you want to take a week to mull <laughs> this over? <laughs> Well, Jason, I'm glad you gave me the third option because in light of the compelling testimony from Mr. (laughs) Blevins as well as Mr. McNow, I'm going to have to take a week to think this over because there was a 180 on Mr. McNow's part. I don't think we expected uh, your testimony from your defense to to go that route inside with Doug. So it's going to take a week. We'll mull it over and we will see where Doug's future will lead. Do we we need a week? We we just had two slam dunk... Two slam we have dunk to review man. all the evidence and <laughs> yes, all the that, testimony. Obviously, this is a the mayor is has discovered thoughtfulness for the first time, and we need that thoughtfulness now more than ever. And you know another reason we need it? We now have the first actual cliffhanger in Ooh, Starkville history. Yes. How dramatic is that, ladies and gentlemen? All right. Well, my fate rests with the public now. I, I throw myself at the mercy it of the Twitterverse. Not, it does not. It oh, rests with the mayor. Oh, the mayor. Okay. And there will be no contact between either host and the mayor Ooh, between now and next week. Is that clear? All right. That's fair. Okay. Uh, so while we await this momentous decision on the future of Doug Glanville, let's remind you, you know, Starkville is now available absolutely free everywhere you get your podcast. We're talking about Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, everywhere. Of course, you can still find us at the Athletic app, on the Athletic website. Be sure to subscribe to Starkville wherever you get your podcasts. And you know what? If you like this podcast, you probably root for some team in the major leagues. And if you do, the Athletic has you covered. We have 16 major league podcasts that cover 16 major league cities. And if you like this podcast, there's probably some team in the big leagues that you root for. And if you do, guess what? The Athletic has you covered. We've now got 16 local Major League Baseball podcasts. And just like us, you can get every one of those Athletic Baseball podcasts for free at Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. So check out the Athletic's network of baseball podcasts today. And if you thought about subscribing to The Athletic, now is actually an excellent time to do that. You can try out our 90-day free trial by going to theathletic.com slash Starkville. So, and in between podcasts, remember to read us on The Athletic website and on The Athletic app. And also remember that you too can be a part of this podcast and achieve those 15 seconds of fame that you have been dreaming of. To do that, you just need to submit a trivia question. Make sure it's one that the evil mayor of Starkville, Mayor Cam, will look at and decide, well, that'll make Doug and Jason look like the clueless knuckleheads they are. <laughs> then, after we get it wrong, we'll use your question to inspire a fun 
topic of conversation. So to submit your question, you can now email them to Starkville at theathletic.com. That's Starkville with an E. Or you can send in your questions via Twitter. To reach Doug Glanville, you would tweet him at? Very simple. Doug Glanville, at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Right. And to send them to me, you could tweet to me at Jason S-T. That's J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Just remember to hashtag your questions with the hashtag StarkvilleQS. That's Starkville with an E. Q-S. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to you all for listening. We will see you next week on Starkville.